Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to our 11 o'clock service on this, the 10th Sunday after Pentecost. Welcome to those of you that are gathered in the room. Welcome to, we know many more who are joining us online. It's good to worship God together in this way today. Uh, my name is James Howell. I am one of the pastors still <laughs> here. <laughs> and uh, I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It is good to be together. I want to highlight for you that it is back to school month, if you didn't know that. Um, but our missions department is doing a wonderful thing of collecting school supplies. So we would love for you to support that cause. And you can easily find an Amazon wish list right on our website. So if you just go to the serve tab, you'll find it there. And while you're there, there is a way for you to serve. Um, we have several opportunities um, coming up this month that are for all ages and abilities. Um, we have building playhouses for our Habitat for Humanity houses. We have packing meals, serving meals. There are ways for you to get involved. So I hope that you will find a way to plug in um, to serve our neighbors. Friends, it is good to be together in the house of God. So let us continue on in worship.
family of God, now let us join our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Family of God, it is a good and right thing when we come together to confess our sins before God and one another, knowing that there is no end to God's grace. So please join me in the prayer of confession found in your bulletin. Gracious God, we carry anger in our hearts we cannot release. Our past regrets continue to shame us with pain. Scarcity binds our hearts from generosity and growth. Give us courage to choose you in the face of temptations. Set us free for joyful obedience and faithful witness. Open us to a future of peace, hope, and love with you. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Old Testament reading is Genesis chapter 32, beginning with the 22nd verse. The same night he arose, and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise, everything he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail, prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? 
and he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, tell me, I pray your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun arose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his thigh.
Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel reading is Matthew chapter 32, beginning with the 22nd verse. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place apart. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. As he went ashore, he saw a great throng, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a lonely place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love this pair of uh, readings. Uh, they come from uh, what's called the Revised Common Lectionary. Uh, churches all over the country, all over the world are reading these same passages. So you have friends, relatives, they'll hear these texts. Uh, two very different moments of people who find themselves alone. Uh, Jacob thinks he's alone and then he's not. And it's, a, it's, it's a fight for his life. And then Jesus is alone, but he's not really alone. We call it solitude. He's alone, but he's not lonely because he's alone with God. Uh, Jesus is taking sort of a sabbatical moment. That's part of the key, one of the keys to the Christian life, finding sabbatical moments, time to turn off your gadgets, time to be quiet, time to be still. Uh, I've been on a uh, sabbatical. Thank you to those of you who uh, noticed I was away, honored <clears throat> by that. It is uh, good to be uh, back. I love the uh, running commentary all morning. Things like, uh, man, the people you left behind were great. Take three more months. <laughs> Just tempting, tempting. Uh, I'm glad to be back. I have, uh, I've missed you. I, I realized, I knew this, but anyway, being away makes me realize how lucky a dog I am. Uh, to have this job. I've had it for a long time. I love you. I love this place. Uh, I love our worship services together. Uh, I left you in great hands. I wouldn't leave you in any other hands. Uh, so, uh, the sabbatical, one thing I did during the sabbatical is um, I took, uh, we took a group of 27. Uh, we took high school seniors to Israel. Uh, my lovely wife pointed out to me, she said, you know, honey, on a sabbatical, you're not supposed to be working. Taking high school seniors to Israel sounds like work. And I have to say, it didn't feel like work. Uh, I say to people, I took high school seniors to Israel, and they respond with something like, oh. And my only response to them is, have you ever taken grown-ups on a trip like this? Um, <laughs> The kids were way better than grown-up groups that I've taken. No offense to those of you who've traveled with me, but these teenagers, they were remarkable. They're not one person whined once. Not one person was late once. My grown-up groups cannot make these claims. <laughs> 
And they were totally with the program. It was just so moving. You know, they, they have a deep spirituality. It's really remarkable. We'd be proud to be part of a church like this for many reasons, but one is, is that. They were just amazing. Then at night, they would share what they'd reflected on during the day and shared an immense love for each other. These guys were about to go off to college. It was really moving. What a privilege for me to be there. I told them uh, while we were there, there are different ways to think about being in the Holy Land. You know, one is to think, this is a profound spiritual experience. You can do that if you want. Uh, another way to think about it is this. Uh, you can think about it in terms of, like, you love Jesus, and you love Jesus so much uh, you want to come see where he lived. I can remember with my dad, at some point he would talk about this house that I didn't know about where they'd lived when he was a little boy for a while, and I said, well, let's go see that. So we got in the car, I went, I wanted to see where he had been. You go to the Holy Land, and how do I put it? Jesus feels honored, right? Because you showed up like in his, on his home turf to see where he lived, where he walked, where he healed, where he taught, where he died, where he was raised uh, from the dead. There is a uh, graffiti uh, that groups don't get to see. You had to get special permission. I've seen it before. It's on the cover of your bulletin. Don't, don't get too, too eager for the bulletin. Keep looking at me and listening. I <laughs> uh, hadn't done this in a while. It's hard. I need your support. Anyway, um, so this graffiti comes from just a few decades after Jesus' death and resurrection, and it's in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So these pilgrims came. They obviously came by boat, because when they got there, they drew a picture of their boat, and then the inscription is very simple. It says, Lord, we came. Lord, not Lord, we had a fabulous spiritual experience, but just Lord, we came. <laughs> And that, that's like a thing. Somebody asked me uh, recently, how do you be spiritual? This is somebody who doesn't have an ounce of spirituality. How do you become spiritual? And there are a lot of ways to think about that, and we'll talk about that in coming weeks. But one of the things to become spiritual, you, you, you show up. You show up. Jesus went uh, for his solitude time with God. He just showed up. I don't know if he had a great experience. I don't know if God answered his prayer. He showed up. He took quiet time with God. You show up for church. You did it today. You show up at, like, it's time. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to show up for a mission prom. I'm going to, you just show up and you show up. What's so remarkable about these high school seniors, I've got to be honest with you, they're an impressive group. And they didn't become impressive yesterday, and they didn't become impressive, sorry, because their parents were really brilliant. I, I'll tell you why they're so impressive is that from day one, they, they've shown up here. You know, we said, here's an activity for kindergartners, and they showed up. We said, here's a third grade group. They showed up for that. We said, here's a seventh grade small group for middle schoolers. They showed up. Here's a mission trip. They showed up. Over and over and over, they showed up. And the net result of showing up for the things of God over time is amazing. <laughs> it's absolutely remarkable. Jacob... He's not a guy showing up for God. He's on the run from God. He's on the run from everybody. He's got a troubled marriage. His brother wants to kill him. His in-laws are very distressed with him. He's exhausted. He is obstinate. The one thing you could say about Jacob is he's tough. He's uh, resilient. Thinking of resilient, by the way, the coolest news story during the time that I was gone, you know what it was? It, it involved four names. Uh, the names are Leslie and Selene and Tien and Kristen. 
those are they're 13 and 9 and 4 and 1 year old do you know these people these are the kids that survived weeks in the amazon like when you see that you think what is what are what are human beings capable of like, you and I, we're, we're, we're such weenies, right? We think we're not capable of all, I bet you didn't expect you to hear the word weenie in a sermon, but <laughs> it just came out of my mouth, sorry. <laughs> we're such weenies, though. We think, oh. But, I mean, they, they survived in the jungle, and the nights had to be the hardest. The nights had to be the hardest for them. Jacob, he's the kind of guy he could have survived in the Amazon, but that, that can be a problem, right? Sometimes resilient, tough people, they, they kind of block off God with their toughness, right? Frederick Buechner uh, famously said, uh, so many of us live our lives like a clenched fist, and the clenched fist can do a lot of good things. It can work, and it can fight, and it can hang on to things, but what the clenched fist can't do is, is, is accept a helping hand. Jacob's got it on his own, right? He, he's like the big clenched fist. So he's on the run, and he thinks he's alone at night, but then suddenly he's jumped. And like, who is it? Is it a thief? Is it a man? Is it, is it an angel? He begins to wonder. Is it God? He begins to wonder. I've told somebody this story before, <clears throat> but it bears repeating. I don't know how many years ago. It was Father's Day. And, um, you know, I don't need for Father's Day to be a big deal, but, you know, if you're a dad, you, you want a little attention. And this particular Father's Day, Lisa was out of town, my daughters were out of town, my son was out of town, I was even out of town by myself. And I was driving back to Charlotte after dark, and I, I had a little, you know, kind of pity me moment, like, oh, it's Father's Day, but then I thought, yeah, actually, it'll be all right, I'll come in, have a glass of wine, Just, it'll be good, it'll be fine. So I get to the house, it's pitch black dark, and I pull up in the driveway, and I go to the house, and I, I get my key, and I put it in, and, and I open the door, and just as I'm reaching for the light, suddenly I get jumped. Somebody grabs me and cra we crash to the floor. And I'm trying to get up and I can't get up. Whoever this is is stronger than I am. And I'm thinking, I'm going to die tonight. <laughs> this is the end. By myself on Father's Day. And, but, then I hear, but then I hear this laughter. And then the light comes on. And it's my son, Noah, <laughs> who wasn't where he said he was going to be. And he'd parked down the street, and he'd sneaked in the house, and he'd been, how long, crouching there in the dark, waiting for me? It was great. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a disaster, but it turned out what jumped me was love. That's kind of Jacob's story. Charles Wesley caught it in his hymn. He says, tell me your name. Oh, my name is love. Like, it's hard. It's a struggle. It's like a battle, but it's love love. Uh, and after he has this wrestling match with the man, the thief, angel, God, whoever it is, uh, he walks away and it says that he limps. He's wounded. He's scarred from the experience. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, in commenting on this, speaks of what he calls honorable scars. Do you have any honorable scars in a... Graham Greene's novel, The End of the Affair, a woman looks at her lover and she uh, reflects on a scar on his shoulder 
and she thinks to herself, I hope he has that scar through all of eternity because the way he got that scar is he was walking one day and this wall began to crumble and he dove in front of an older man to save him, but it gashed his shoulder. She said that scar tells something of his character, the kind of person that he is, which we wouldn't know if he didn't have that scar there. Um, you know, Rachel Hollis, you know, blogger and so on, she famously, a few years back, posted a photo of herself after she'd had a baby in a small bikini showing her stretch marks. She says, I know women aren't supposed to show their stretch marks, she said, but I'm proud of mine. Those aren't scars. She said, those are stripes, and I have earned them. <laughs> I kind of love that. Honorable scars. Uh, I now, I know you came hoping to hear this today. Let me just touch on this for a minute. Uh, I have a scar now. Um, I had emergency surgery on April the 19th. I have a scar. Uh, it's not an honorable scar. It's just a scar. And it would frighten young children, I can tell you. It goes from my sternum all the way below my belly button. And I'll tell you briefly what happened. I, I tried to keep this out of the public eye, but it, it just happened. So anyway, here's kind of the story. <laughs> is uh, Lisa and I were at an event, and I was two weeks away from sabbatical beginning, kind of thinking, hey, it's going to be cool. And I suddenly had, like, the worst pains of my wife, and Lisa persuades me not to tough it out, which was my preference. And we go to the emergency room, and pretty quickly there's this doctor in front of me who says, sir, you need to have surgery. I was wanting a pill to go home. And I said, surgery, when? She said, right now. It's midnight. And I said, can't we wait till tomorrow? She said, you could die tonight. And I said, I think right now is a good time <laughs> for this. And so we did. Then I had 15 pretty rough days in the hospital. I'm doing great now. Never felt uh, better. I had a friend who knew this was going on, and she emailed me. I love this. She said, God has a way of slowing you down. This is so profoundly wrong. <laughs> Right, God's not the kind of God to look down and think, that James Howell, he's just too busy. I'm going to strike him with this, and that'll show him how to... So that's not how it works at all. Anyway, you just slow down and stuff happens. Now, thinking about the Jacob wrestling in the middle of the night, so here's the thing. I thought about this while I was in the hospital, because when you're in the hospital and you're in a lot of pain and you're having constant nausea and all of that, uh, the nights really are the worst. Actually, when you're at home, the nights are the worst, aren't they? So the night's in the hospital, and I have to tell you that some nights I was just so miserable, and I'd, I would hold my phone, and I would thumb through messages from some of you guys, text and emails, and I had some handwritten notes that some of you had been so kind and generous to have sent me. And this text and email simply said, I'm praying for you. What a gift. What an honor. And, and I felt for the first time in my life, I've never had much physical suffering, that God does this kind of uh, magic. Like we think, oh, we got prayers, yeah. But, but prayer, prayer is love. Madeline Lingle said that prayer is love. And what happens is, is God through God's miracle, takes your love and, and transports it across space and time. 
And your love for me came into that hospital room, and in the agony of a night, your love surrounded me and embraced me. It was palpable. It was real. It was a beautiful thing. Um, Thank you for that. I'd add the other thing in the middle of the night, speaking of what happens. Uh, if you've been in the hospital, you know that uh, they pester you all night long. Poor nurses, it's not their fault. It's in their job description. So they come at unwelcome times, 2 a.m., 4 a.m., if you happen to be getting asleep, which is hard to do, and they stick you or do something. And I, I had a choice, right? I thought I could get irritated with these nurses and say, don't come. It was really tempting. But instead, what I did every time a nurse came in, I said, I'd say, what's your name? And they would tell me their name. And then, this is the interesting part, I would say, where are you from? So this is many nurses over 15 nights in the hospital. Not one of them said, uh, Cleveland. Every one of them, is so interesting. Every one of them would say, Cleveland, and then they'd talk about it. We got to be in Cleveland because my dad got out of the Air Force and took a job, but then I got to Charlotte, they would start to tell me the story. (laughs) And since I was listening, they would tell me more. One said, my husband is having an affair and I just learned about it. Another said, I don't really like being a nurse. I have a dream of doing something else. So interesting. Middle of the night, people telling these stories. Not one of them ever mentioned or declared their political ideology to me, right? What's your name? Susan. And I'm a staunch Republican. I'm a liberal. That has never happened. Instead, we're sharing stories and dreams. So interesting. What we're called to do as God's church is not to judge people or keep distance from people. They seem like strangers, but they needn't be strangers. I loved that uh, my first day back at work, I got to drive over to uh, the Plato Price Project near the airport where we dedicated the first seven of 39 homes that our church is building for people that you do not know. They are strangers. You hope they don't remain strangers. You hope that we learn how to talk to strangers. And over time, they become friends. Part of the spiritual life is engaging strangers and befriending them. That's the mistake that we make too often, is instead of befriending them, we judge the stranger. Rabbi Sachs uh, said this. I love this. Thinking about um, an encounter with a stranger, he says, if you are human, so is he. If you think he is less than human, you too are less than human. Although this stranger is not in your image, he is nonetheless in God's image. Why not hate or fear the stranger? Because the stranger is God. Jacob has an encounter with a stranger, and he walks away, he limps away, believing that it is God. I love that uh, he's got foot spy. He's tough. Instead of just yielding to God, he keeps battling. <laughs> and the best moment, I think, comes when he, he gets God in a grip, right? That's pretty good. And he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. That's so good. <laughs> 
I won't let you go until you bless me. Friends, you know this. We deal with all kind of stuff, uh, you know, pains and struggles and sufferings and agonies and confusions and whatever it is that we battle. And, and the message from Jacob is like, you don't let go of that until you discover what the blessing is in it. There's a blessing in it, but can you hang on long enough? I, I, I won't let this go until I find the blessing. The, the last thing is when I was in the hospital, a friend reminded me of a poem by the Irish poet John O'Donohue. And it's a poem about what you do when you're facing a serious illness. And one of the things that he says in the poem is so lovely. He says, I, I, I want my illness to be a lantern in the darkness. I want my illness to be a lantern in the darkness. I want that lantern of the suffering to illuminate new qualities emerging in me. And I want the light from that lantern to release whatever has become false in me. I haven't worked all that out yet. I'm still trying to figure out how God's using this chapter of my life for new qualities to emerge in me, but I believe that they're there. I believe that there is a blessing there, and I'm trying to figure out as I pray and ponder what is it in me that is false that I need to let go? Friends, I've apologized to everybody else this morning. I'll apologize to you too. I got busy this week. I didn't tidy up the end of the sermon like I want to. So I'll just say this. Thank you. Uh, it is a great delight for me to stand up here week after week, and sometimes I ramble, and, and it's just so much fun. It means so much to me to talk with you about the things of God. And I know you care about the things of God because you showed up. By being here, you say, Lord, we, we came. Lord, we came. That's what we do together. It just means so much to me, so thank you. You are a great blessing to me and to the world.
Friends, let us go to God in prayer. Lord, we gather this morning to worship because we desire to grow in love with you and encounter your presence together as a family of God. Remind us of your compassion and your grace as we pray and praise you. You are with us, so may we be fully present here and now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Spirit of the living God, we give thanks for your tender love for your world and for all your kids. You created us to be brothers and sisters and friends together. So enable us to no longer obsess to be more like the world or even to obsess over becoming a better version of this world, but instead, may we be different from the world, to be a transformed people who give witness to God. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Help us to know ourselves as you know us. Help us to know our neighbors as you know them. Help us to know the strangers and foreigners in our midst, those who are unseen as you know them. Help us to know our enemies, even our enemies, like you know them. And you know all of us, regardless of who we may be, in the light of forgiveness, generosity, and mercy, so may we do likewise. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. The world, the world's images of beauty surrounds us and bombards us all the time. The image of beauty that we seek often leaves us weary and wanting. Instead, may we seek the beauty as witness through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, your gospel, you, Jesus, you are beautiful. So may we become beautiful like you and learn to celebrate the same images of beauty all around us and in us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lift up those who mourn this day, those who've experienced loss. We especially lift up the family of Mary Lee Grogan as she has finished her course in faith and now rests in heaven's eternal. Trusting in the assurances of the promises of God always, we lift her up and all the family and friends of those who mourn our earthly loss. And because we know you are to be here with us and that you are indeed present with all those who mourn and grieve, regardless of all that may be happening in our world and in our lives, we are always able to pray the prayer with full confidence as you taught your disciples to pray, and we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As the ushers come forward, we are reminded yet again that all that we do in the life of our church at MPUMC, we're able to do through God's grace and blessings and through our collective generosity that enables the ministry of God in the life of our church. For this, we give thanks. Let us receive our morning tithes and thanksgiving.
Loving and gracious God, you're a giver of all good things. We offer a portion of that which you've so abundantly given to us. Bless them so that they may become seeds of generosity, bringing life to others in Jesus' name. Amen.
love to watch you guys sing and to do that together. And now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore.